Welcome into the bank, a show which covers the Baltimore Ravens and the NFL. The bank is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, the Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Hey, everybody. Welcome back for episode 19 of The Bank. We're getting excited here because we're coming up right on the Raven season. And um, I'm here with my co-host, Gabe Ferguson. Um, I'm Jordan Coe. You guys can check us out at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. Um, you can find us both on Twitter. He's at Gabe Fergie. I'm at BSL Jordan Coe. Um, we write over there. We post on the message board at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. We'd love for you guys to participate, um, especially as we get into the season. We're hoping to kind of Ideally, either cover the games that just happened or preview the games that are coming up um, on a week-to-week basis this year. And so we just got a little taste, Gabe, of some Kansas City and some Texas action, um, some Texans action. And those are the Ravens' opponents the next couple of weeks. What was what was your takes on the, the start of the NFL season? So first of all, it's awesome to have NFL back. That, that's my first take. <laughs> totally um, agree. I, th- I think that um, it was a well-played game. I mean, the, the Chiefs were, I think, by far the superior team. Um, although I think there's some things that both teams did that was a little odd. There's some conservative play calling that I noticed throughout the course of the entire game from both head coaches. Um, that's kind of the opposite of the way the Ravens played last year. So I think that might um, play into the Ravens' favor. But we'll see how you know they, they do. But, I, I mean, obviously the, the Chiefs are, are an explosive offense. They have dangerous weapons. We saw them showcase their rookie running back. And he had a really big game, and he looks like Ray Rice. <laughs> um, I think they're going to be a hard team. They they have a really good good offense. I think their defensive line played well. Um, I honestly wasn't too impressed by the Houston Texans. Um, their offensive line looked bad, and they don't have very many weapons on offense. They have Will Fuller, and uh, David Johnson showed a few things, and that's about it. Yeah, and I thought, you know, I wasn't I wasn't terribly impressed with the Texans either. I think the Chiefs looked better in terms of their final result than the actual team you get. You know, they don't have a ton of depth at corner, so that allowed the, you know, that made it really easy for Kansas City to pass. And then Watt was playing nose tackle for a lot of the game, which says they don't have a ton of defensive line depth. And it, it really showed um, there in the first half when, when uh, Hilaire Edwards just ran all over them. Um, and so I was just really, really by and large unimpressed with the Texans team. It's, it, it was a game that I was moderately worried about as we kind of headed into um, week two. But it's it's a game that I think the Ravens could even be looking a little past Houston and still not even be that worried about it. Um, I think they're big enough on that front line that they're going to be able to kind of slow that down. But, you know, I also didn't quite get what Houston was doing either. David Johnson looked very good and like David Johnson of a couple years ago. And they got him the ball maybe 10 times. Um, you know, they stopped running the ball early, you know, they were, it just didn't make a whole lot of sense to me what what they were doing. But then again, Bill O'Brien, I feel like thinks that he's smarter than everybody else in the NFL. And it turns out he's not. So, (laughs) um, but like you said, I think it was, it was an awesome taste of the NFL season. I think there was definitely some conservative play calling on both sides. So it'll be, it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of continues to play out from here. Yeah, I, I mean, who knows? I mean, teams are just getting their feet wet. It could be that once um, the season 
gets into week two, three, four, teams will start to um, you know open it up a little bit more. They might just been kind of doing kind of a scripted kind of game plan without having any preseason. Um, but it, you know, I felt for the most part that the players were ready to play. They looked like they didn't make huge mistakes. There weren't very many penalties. Um, I think a lot a lot of people thought that it would you know, be kind of a sloppy game. Yeah, I don't think it was sloppy. I just think that the you know the Chiefs out executed the Texans. I think there's a, a, a much better team. Um, so I think that week three matchup, Monday night football against the the Chiefs is going to be a real fun one. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm a, I'm super excited for that matchup, but I, I agree with you. I also wonder whether or not the lack of crowd noise is going to actually allow there to be better execution on both sides of the ball. Um, essentially half of the game that was played under hundreds of decibels um, on a weekly basis are now played under much less than that. And, and I think, you know, uh, Collinsworth and, and Michaels were making a fuss over how loud 17,000 people were. But when you, you divide it by five, um, it's just not going to be as loud. It's just not as possible to be as loud um, for some of these games. And I think that's going to actually lead to seeing less false starts, seeing less of some of these penalties that we might see, um, you know, across the board. Uh, you know, there was the Roby penalty on the fourth down or on the third down in the red zone was awful. Um, he had the coverage under the receiver and he still decided to pull him down, which, which took away that turnover, which might've actually made the game close. Um, you know, it wasn't the score, the score was more, I, I think the game was, was seemingly closer the entire time. And the Texans just didn't take advantage of that at, at any point. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think like you said, there could be an effect with the crowd noise. We're going to have to wait and see how that plays out. Um, but I think like you said, there might be less false starts. There'll probably be less delay of game penalties. I know there was some talk about how teams might use a lot more like no huddle just because they can communicate easier and kind of get the pace of the game going faster. It'll be interesting to see, you know, how that plays out. Um, but, you know, I, I think in general, the the, the game is just going to look pretty normal. Um, and I noticed that they, I think they did slightly different camera angles where you didn't really get any, any sense of the crowd and you saw more of the field, which I kind of liked. I don't know if that was something I was imagining or if they actually did that. Um, but I don't know. I, I think it's something that's going to be kind of a, a, a minor aspect, but I think it's something that we'll, we'll have to consider is, is what the empty stadiums have. Yeah. It was also good to see Kalechi Assembly out there. Um, I, I think the Ravens should regret not trying to sign him. It seemed like there was some bad blood from whatever happened when he departed from this team, um, but he would have been really nice to slot into Marshall Yonda's spot um, on this team. And he looked really, he looked really good with Kansas city. Now health has been an issue for him. Um, and so, you know, obviously I don't wish anybody to, to get any kind of injury, even if it's an opponent of the Ravens. Um, so we'll see if he can actually hold up and maybe that's the sticking point for the Ravens, um, but he looked pretty good as Collingsworth pointed out. And and I think he was a big part of why Hilaire Edwards had a really big first half. Um, and it wasn't clear whether or not the Texans made some kind of adjustments about how they were handling him in the second half because the running game seemed to kind of disappear there too. Yeah, I, I agree with you about Assembly. I think he's someone who, I you know, I think we talked about on the message board some, a little bit and I was very on board with trying to sign him back when we learned that Yonda was going to be retiring, he seemed like an obvious player to kind of take a look at. And, you know, I think some, there are different opinions about him. Some people thought he's washed up. Some people thought, you know, there's, you know, bad blood or whatever, but I think, I, I mean, I can't fault the Ravens for bringing in a guy like Fluker. I think he was going to probably going to be a decent option. He can play tackle in a pinch and he can also play guard. Um, but, you know, I think it might've been a missed opportunity there. 
Yeah, for sure. Well, um, and especially when you need that kind of offensive line depth. So I don't know what kind of year or what kind of contract he got from um, Kansas City overall either. So um, was it a veteran minimum kind of deal? Do you know? I don't know the details of it, but I imagine it was something in that range. I don't think he was looking for a huge contract. Yeah, it looks like it was. I just looked it up. It looks like it was a $2 million deal. So, yeah, I think that's a missed opportunity for the Ravens based on how he looked. Um, But, you know, and and we definitely want to start to get into the Ravens-Cleveland game um, for sure. And and Tyree Phillips didn't practice this week, so it looks like Fluker is going to get that role. So um, the other thing about Assembly in that regard is that he's also a swing tackle kind of guy. Um, And and maybe if the Ravens didn't have or weren't counting on – Andre um, Smith. Smith, yeah. Um, you know, maybe they do sign someone like Assembly because they think he can swing as well a little bit. But they thought they maybe they thought they were okay at tackle. Um, but I, you know, I wanted to get into something that that has come up a little bit on the Ravens message boards, and and I've been reading a lot from kind of pundits the last couple of weeks about Lamar Jackson um, and kind of the Ravens' overall offense. I think you know to set the scene or the picture. Um, the Ravens scored 530 points on offense last year. They were obviously the top offense in the league in terms of points scored. Um, and, and they looked the part on, on the field. Uh, Lamar had a little over 3000 yards passing, but he had that 36 touchdowns overall on, you know, a little over 400 attempts. So he had, you know, a really high percentage of touchdowns to pass attempts. Um, obviously another 1200 yards rushing um, and all that's a boot. Um, and so, you know, the the term that I see getting thrown around a lot is regression for Lamar, essentially this idea that he kind of outplayed or he, he played beyond what is going to be his average or the mean of what we're typically going to see from him. Um, and that so as a result, next year's numbers kind of have to be lower um, because last year's numbers were just so good. Um, and that's something that's kind of bothered me as I think about it a little bit more and more. And, and I think, you know, I think there are two sides of the coin. I, the, the place I want to start with on this is Lamar only had six games starting, right? Or seven games, if you include the playoffs starting before that, um, was truly unpolished as a passer before coming into this upcoming year, had huge security issues in terms of hanging on to the football um, and really was only known as a runner. Um, comes into the year and just absolutely dominates and does so without it looking super fluky, right? Like Lamar wasn't throwing to wide open receivers. It wasn't like there was some scheme, you know, air quotes here. There was some scheme that allowed them to run and and kind of pulled some people into the box. But the Ravens wide receivers were so mediocre last year that it wasn't even like the Ravens could take advantage of what they were setting up with the run with the pass. It, it felt to me like Lamar earned everything he got kind of at every single stage last year. Um, you know, and I, I, you know, I kind of wonder what your take is because I think you've been a little bit more on the side that Lamar can't put up the same numbers next year um, or you don't expect him, not that he can't, you don't expect him to put up the same numbers um, in this upcoming year. I don't expect him to put up the same rushing numbers because I expect his rushing attempts to go down. Um, and I don't expect the touchdown rate to contain continue at 9% because I do think the 9% touchdown rate is a, I don't, I don't want to say fluky, but it's a bit of an outlier just in terms of like historical numbers. Um, people don't throw touchdowns at that high. 36 touchdowns on 400 pass attempts is kind of an absurd figure. Um, Mahomes, just for the record, two years ago, Mahomes was at about eight and a half percent. So, it's, so, you know, yeah, yeah. so that, that's, I think it's probably at the top end of what we're going to see from any quarterback. Um, that said, I think he has an extremely unique skill set. And I think he's going to have 
outlier numbers for the majority of his career, barring injury. So while I do think that he's not going to throw 36 touchdowns, probably, um, I think he's going to be in the low 30s. And I think his passing totals are probably going to increase across the board. Um, I think, I mean, I, I had an offensive projections um, article a couple weeks ago, and I think I had him at about 480 pass attempts, which I feel is reasonable to like, like th- th- three more, no, like five more pass attempts per game. Um, and also consider that he didn't play a game last year and he sat out like what fourth fourth quarter or something like that. So like he put up the numbers he put up while basically playing 14 full games, which is kind of absurd. Um, so I think if he actually played a full season, I think if he passes the ball a little bit more, rushes the ball a little bit less, I'd expect him to throw probably around 30 to 35 touchdowns, maybe push 3,800, 4,000 yards passing and probably have eight to, eight to 900 yards rushing. Like, I think those are pretty exceptional numbers. And while maybe that's a slight regression in terms of the rushing numbers and maybe a slight regression in terms of touchdowns, um, I think overall he's going to be just as effective as a passer and the Ravens offense is going to be just as dominant as it was last year, because that's what the original question you put, you fit, you posted was right. Like, look, right. how are the Ravens going to score as many points as they did last year? They might not score 500, but 30 points. But I think they'll probably be pushing 500 points. Um, I think 30 points a game is is pretty reasonable to expect from from this team next year or this coming season. Yeah, and that was you know kind of the conversation that I want to have about this. Everybody, you know, it, it's so easy to get wrapped up in Lamar and how good was Lamar last year and how good wasn't Lamar last year or you know, can he sustain this? Can he do the things that people think he can't do? And so it's very easy for, I think, pundits um, to do something where they're like basically saying, oh, well, he's not going to do as well next year because he can't do X, Y, and Z things to the super top level that you see the Tom Brady's or, you know, in his prime, Peyton Manning's, Aaron Rodgers or their prime be able to do. Um, on the other hand, Lamar, in terms of running the ball, can do something that no one else can do. Um, and he's a far better passer than I think. But even in under that entire umbrella, I think it's completely within the realm of the possibility for the Ravens to score 550 or more points. Lamar to have the same number of passing yards, less touchdowns, and less rushing yards overall on the offense for the year. I think when you look at Ingram and Dobbins and just kind of like what kind of opportunities sit in front of this team, I think you can see Lamar's raw numbers in total go down and still see the offensive numbers in total for the Ravens go up. Um, and so I think it's, it, it strikes me as intriguing to then call it a statistical regression, so to speak, you know, in those cases, like, like the things that are ultimately going to matter for this team are red zone conversion rates, fourth down conversion rates, and the number of punts they have, right. They had that stretch in the middle of the season where they just, it seemed like cook punted five times in eight games. And I think it was something reasonably absurd like that. Um, if the Ravens go on a stretch like that, then they're going to post a lot of points. Um, and, and to me, it doesn't really matter whether or not Lamar has like reaches the exact same benchmarks, whether their percentage or whether their raw numbers overall, I, I think we're still going to see huge performances from this team. Yeah. I, I think that it's just hard for people to kind of comprehend how efficient the Ravens offense was last year, um, just on a play by play basis. Um, like, they had an average, I think, EPA of like 0.2 per play, something around those numbers. Like it was absurd. They had a rushing offense that was as efficient as most, or like the more the, as efficient as about like the top 10 passing offense in the NFL, which most rushing attempts are actually negative 
plays when you look at it. Um, but the Ravens were not. They were actually a very effective team when they just rushed the ball. So they were extraordinary. And when they passed the ball, it was like even crazier higher. It, they were by far and away the best team. Um, I just don't see how that's going to go away. I, and they lost Marshall Yanda. They lost Hayden Hurst. But I think they got better at running back. I think they got better at wide receiver. Um, and I think Lamar is going to be better as a quarterback, which kind of makes sense for somebody who's only played, what, like 22, 23 games as a starter in the NFL. And he clearly, like, is one of the most hardworking players in the sport. Like, he really is focused on getting a Super Bowl. And he has this kind of, like, ability to just make plays happen. He wills the, the team to, like, get third down conversions, get fourth down conversions. He has this um, aura about him, it, which sounds kind of weird, but it's true. Like sometimes in sports, it's kind of like the Le- LeBron James factor. Like when he just kind of like goes into that mode where he's like, I'm not going to let the other team stop me right now. Lamar Jackson has that same kind of thing. And because of his ability to use his legs, his ability to actually like, you know, do things that other people just can't even imagine doing on a football field. He has this ability to just kind of make plays happen. And that's something that's pretty unique in the sport of football. Yeah. It's like the NBA jam on fire mode for these guys. Um, you know, what I, what I really want to see is I want to see Lamar. Um, how many, did he have any regular season touchdown passes his rookie year? You know, offhand, let me look it up. Yeah. Um, I think he had like eight. He had six. Yeah. So he has 42, he has 42 passing touchdowns through his first two seasons. And I saw the stat on the Kansas city game tonight in his first three seasons, Mahomes had 77 passing touchdowns, which was the most ever for a quarterback. So Lamar only has to pass for 36 touchdowns again this year to, to pass Mahomes for the fastest um, to, to 77 or to the number of touchdowns at the end of three years. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'd like to see him do that. I think he can repeat the 36, um, you know, alone. And I think this is actually a really good segue, this conversation. And I wanted to have it first. It was a good segue to the Cleveland game. Um, I rewatched both the last two Cleveland games. And I think the thing that stood out to me the most was, and, and this is going to sound absolutely crazy because we are total nuts for the Ravens, right? And we watched all the games and we watched all the plays. We watched almost all of them together for the most part last year. Lamar Jackson is better than I remembered him. Um, and I think that's the thing that stood out to me in that Cleveland game. Not only was he, especially in the second Cleveland game. So to set the, to set the scene, right. The Ravens end up scoring 31 points in the game, but with a minute 50 seconds left in that game, the Ravens were losing six to nothing. They had zero points. So in a half and two minutes, less than two minutes, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens scored 31 points. And they did so on one drive where they ran the ball eight consecutive times and still, and still scored a touchdown. That's the kind of efficiency that we're talking about here. But it's also it's the kind of thing when you watch these games, Lamar does a lot of subtle things that I think that a lot of pundits that should know better aren't picking up on. Um, And so there were two huge throws in that Cleveland game that I thought were phenomenal from Lamar that like really stood out to me. The first one was the Lamar or the Mark Andrews touchdown. The second touchdown. The first one was kind of a wide open up the seam miscommunication. The other was 
Andrews was standing about two yards deep in the end zone. He had a linebacker directly in front of him. And Lamar just threw a high arcing pass that was about three yards deeper than them and higher than them. And the only guy that was going to be able to catch that ball was Mark Andrews because he had about four inches on that defender. Lamar clearly threw that guy open. And it's the kind of play that if Patrick Mahomes made that throw, people would have been gushing. But instead, it was Lamar Jackson and no one really talks about it. Um, the other throw was on a circle route. So you have Mark Ingram coming out of the backfield. You basically cut into the flat, cut up the field, and then cut back across, like essentially like on a slant or on like a dig. And then he released into that, basically ran into two defenders, and then Ingram splits them, runs behind them, and Lamar just drops a dime right into Ingram's breadbasket. And Ingram is a good pass catcher, but we're talking about 15 yards down the field, and it was a perfect throw um, between essentially just right in between three defenders. Um, so what really stood out to me about those games was how good Lamar Jackson actually is. And, and so those two passes stood out to me, but also his runs. Yeah. I think he ran the ball 12 times in that game and eight of those runs, he wasn't touched by a single Cleveland Browns defender. He got out of bounds. Nobody got within two yards of him. Um, and it, it was just, it struck me that even though we are Lamar Jackson lovers and I got a Jersey this year, He's my guy. I have him. I took him at number five in a fantasy league, even though everybody said not to. I think he's actually better than we remember him. And he's actually better on the field. It kind of goes to that aura thing that you were just talking about. I think he's actually he's actually better than we think he is. Um, and he's not getting enough credit for it yet, even though he was the unanimous MVP last year. Yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely 100 percent correct. Uh, Lamar Jackson is incredible. He deserved the MVP. He deserved the unanimous MVP. All the players who played against him say that about him, that he's like, how do you stop this guy? All the players on the Ravens are like, like they can't believe how good he is. Um, but the two, those two plays you mentioned, I, I know exactly those two plays you you, walked about, you talked about. I've watched them on Twitter on loop several times over, and they're just remarkable plays. Like, it's incredible um, how good Jackson is from the pocket. It's something that he doesn't get any credit for because people still see him as like this running quarterback. But he is one of the best, people not only at just like throwing accurate balls from the pocket, but also maneuvering the pocket and like subtly like avoiding rush and being able to like step into passing lanes. Um, it's something that honestly Joe Flacco was never very good at. And it's kind of nice to see a player like um, Lamar Jackson in his second season already kind of have the mastery that, that Flacco couldn't have in his like, you know, seventh season. Um, the other thing you kind of brushed off the first touchdown but that was actually a really impressive play because the browns were being like seven people on the splits and he just stood there in the pocket and got the ball out as soon as he could as soon as he saw andrews coming open and yeah he was open but it was because you know the raven or the browns were doing this like cover one blitz they were doing an overload blitz and they didn't have time to rotate the guy over to cover andrews and jackson recognized it and hit him he had to process that in less than like a second, but he did. And he knew where to go with the ball. And it was an easy touchdown because of how good he is at processing. He knew where the rush was coming from. He knew where his guy was going to be. That was going to be open and he hit it. Not every quarterback can do that. Yeah, he definitely, he gets the ball out really effectively. And, he, you know, I think it stood out to me watching just around Watson tonight too. Watson has, Watson's good at sliding in the pocket, but Watson's also at some points like just really terrible in his pocket presence. Um, and and he's such an incredible athlete that him running around gets him out of a lot. Um, but it also leads 
he runs into a lot of sacks because of that um, and gets sacked a lot because I think he counts on his own ability to get out of some of those situations and he leaves himself a little high and dry. Um, I think Lamar doesn't get enough credit for not putting himself in those same identical situations. Um, you know, I think it's, I, I don't know if it's PFF or if it's football outsiders, but they talk a lot about how, um, the quarterback actually has the most control over the number of sacks they take of anybody on the field. It's not the left tackle. It's not your offensive line. It's actually the quarterback has, has the most influence over kind of what those are. Um, and I think it's, it's when you compare guys like Mahomes and Jackson to guys like Watson, um, that's where you can see the biggest difference of those guys that really have that, that meaningful pocket presence um, kind of in that set. Um so, you know, obviously I think the Ravens have a huge advantage of quarterback over over Cleveland. Um I actually thought I actually thought Mayfield played pretty well in that game overall. Um the the Browns did something really interesting in the second game where they did they played a lot from the shotgun. So I'm really interested to see um whether or not that's something they bring back. Obviously under Stefanski, I don't assume that it's what we're going to see, but but really who knows. Um, and then really, you know, they try to exploit the Ravens when they go into cover zero or cover one um, and throw to the outside guys one on one deep. And, and that was not to Mayfield's strength. Um, so one of the things that does worry me a little bit about this Cle- upcoming Cleveland game is that, you know, if Stefanski can turn Mayfield into Kirk Cousins, um, he could be, actually be pretty good. Right. Like I think Mayfield can make two or three more throws a game that Cousins just can't make because he doesn't have the arm to do it. But if Stefanski can get him to control himself and get him kind of in check and and using the running game to start that, um, I think Mayfield could actually be one of the more improved players in this upcoming year. Yeah, I think that bringing in Stefanski was the perfect hire for the Browns. Um, I think it's a chance to save Mayfield's career because after last year, things didn't look great for him. Um, I think he needs to be in this kind of um, offense in which it's a little more scripted it's a little bit more um, kind of maybe not scripted, but it's it's very in the in the context of what's going to happen. Like it's very controlled. You know you know the basic things that are going to happen on pretty much every play, and you have this kind of scheme which is based off of the run game, where where's this Shanahan Kubiak um, outside zone um, run scheme where you have the defense that always has to prepare for that. And then you can do play action off of that. And you can get some really good looks, um, especially in the intermediate part of the field. Um, you can get you can do these um, bail out bootlegs to like the, the weak side um, away from the, the run action. And you can get some real good looks to the tight ends in particular or to the wide receivers on crossers and, and deep crossers. And that's something the Ravens are going to have to be prepared for because they are a team that is very aggressive in defense, and they can be. They have a tendency to kind of overcommit, be a little overzealous, and the the play action is something that can really bite them if if they don't pay close enough attention to what's going on. And if they get too overzealous and trying to take away that that run action, it's going to be. Um, it could be a long day. Um, I, I think where the Ravens will do well though is in the defensive line, they have the people to kind of hold up. So I think it's really going to be a matter of the, put, putting a strain on the linebackers. And I'm curious to see how the Ravens linebackers uh, react to this kind of this scheme um, because they probably haven't seen too much of it, especially the rookies. Um, and they're really going to have to be able to be um, you know, disciplined and in, in they're reading their keys. And 
that's that's probably going to be one of the major keys to this game. I think is is how well the the Ravens linebackers can can play. Um, how do they, you know, fill in the run game, and how do they um, stay disciplined in, in the play action? Yeah, I definitely want to come back to the linebackers. I want to talk about Stefanski for for just a moment though, because I, I'm I'm actually curious to see whether or not he can carry over what Kubiak did. Um, Stefanski's background is not under Kubiak long-term um, and his background is not in his own stretch scheme. So in the sense of like, he wasn't of the Shanahan school, he wasn't kind of like, he hasn't kind of like been born and raised in it. And Kubiak was an assistant coach in the Vikings last year. Um, and I think he did have a big hand in the offense and the schemes and ultimately probably some influence over the play calls and, and kind of some of that actual practical implications of, of how that stuff played out. Um, so I'm particularly curious to see whether or not he can carry that over. Um, I don't think three or four years ago, the Vikings were a zone stretch, like Kubiak style offense. Um, if I recall correctly, and Stefanski has been with the Vikings his entire career and he was with the Vikings for some pretty meager years in terms of their overall offensive performance. Um, you know, I think if you look at, you know, I, I think he comes into a situation where the personnel in Cleveland is very similar to the personnel that he had in Minnesota. Um, you know, I think Mayfield cousins are similar cook, um, and the running backs that he's got are similar Thielen, Diggs, Beckham, Landry, um, Rudolph, you know, Hooper, I, I think you've got a lot of similar crossover, so he should be able to replicate that. I'm just curious how much of an influence that others were having in that offense. Cause I, I don't think it was Stefanski was the one to bring it to that team. Um, so I'm really curious to see whether or not it actually plays itself out as, as, as being effective. You see, you know, we've seen guys like Sean McVay come out of the, the Shanahan system or the Kubiak system. Um, Cause he came out, he came from under the Shanahan's um, you see him coming out of the systems like that and being really successful, but McVay did it without the zone stretch scheme and did something completely different. Um, so I'm just curious to see, you know, I, I'm not, I, I think Stefanski is a really good fit for them. And I think he was the right hire for them. But we've also seen coordinators like Adam Gase come out where they're supposed to be these gurus and they're supposed to know what they can do about the X's and O's of a specific type of offense and then not. Um, and I do think that A, they're the Browns and B, doesn't have a long term history in that. And that Stefanski does have some higher expectations in terms of making that work. Um, and if he doesn't actually get it or he doesn't know how to coach it or he doesn't know how to implement it or prep for it pre game day without somebody else there to get him through it, um, then he could flop pretty hard. Yeah, you, you make a good point. We don't know what Savansky going to be like when he's out in the zone, when it's when it's his ship to sail and he's the captain. Um, we don't know what, what that office is going to look like. We don't know what the team is going to look like. Um, obviously, we've talked before about how the Browns were kind of a complete disaster last year with um, Freddie Kitchens, who was completely in over his head. Um, so we have to think there's going to be an improvement, probably. It's hard to get worse from that. But it's true. We don't know exactly what the, what the offense is going to look like. The assumption is it's just going to look like what the Vikings did last year, but that might not be the case. I think you make a good point with the personnel. Um, I think the, the Vikings are, are – the Browns, like the Vikings did last year, are going to try and do a lot of that 12 personnel. Um, they had the two tight ends to do it, and Huber and Joku, and they had the two wide receivers, obviously, um, as you mentioned, Landry and Beckham, and then obviously the running backs. So I think that's kind of the personnel that makes sense for them. Um, I think it. it's also, if you look historically at uh, Baker Mayfield, he does better in kind of the 21 and 12 personnel versus the like 11 personnel or more of like the, the spread looks that 
um, where he has to kind of make a quick decision and he doesn't have as much protection. Um, I think he's going to be able to be a little bit better protected in this. And I think as long as he can be disciplined in the pocket, he has a chance to do well. Um, so a lot of this is going to be on Mayfield. It's, is he going to buy into the system? Is he going to stay disciplined? Is he going to kind of get rid of those bad habits where he got into, where he bailed out and saw kind of pressure where, where it wasn't? Um, so that's the kind of thing that I'm looking to see. We'll probably learn a lot about what Mayfield looks like in this week, but you know, this is the Ravens. I think the Ravens have a good defense and it's not going to be an easy test for them either. Um, so yeah. yeah, jumping back to the linebackers, I'm interested to see who gets these reps too. Queen and Fort obviously listed at the top of the depth chart. Um, Fort is not terrible playing the run, honestly. Um, and when he and Bynes, you know, were in some run situations last year together, I thought that they did just fine. And I actually thought Fort did pretty well. The Ravens tended not to use him that way in the longer term. I think right out of the out of the gate in the Pittsburgh game, he got a ton. Like basically, him Bynes were on the field for what I feel like was seventy percent of the game, just because I think the Ravens were trying to make a point um, to the rest of the team. But I'm interested to see if Alaka, Board, and Harrison are all active, and then what kind of rotational roles that they get. Um, the Ravens must like Alaka. Um, you know, enough that they kept him last year, enough that they kept him again this year after drafting Harrison um, and keeping board. Um, I think that tells us that Alakas doesn't have board's chops in terms of playing special teams where they probably both wouldn't be here. Um, and so I'm interested to see, you know, if Alaka is going to get some of those reps in run defense, maybe the Ravens really like him. You know, we haven't seen him and we don't know what he has to offer. And maybe, you know, maybe he has the ability to be that thumper. Maybe Harrison does. I, you know, I think there's, the way the 53-man rostered versus whatever number of people are allowed to be active for this upcoming year, which is still abundantly not clear to me, um, you know, I think it's a chance that they all could be active. And if that's the case, I think it's going to be really interesting to see who gets the reps um, in there. I think Harrison's probably the low man on the totem pole just because John Harbaugh hates rookies. <laughs> I think there's some truth to that, but I've also, you know, heard that Harrison looks really good, especially against the run. Um, so... I think it's going to depend on what he does with the opportunity that he's given. If he goes in there and he, and he looks like he's the best guy in terms of like run defense, I think he's going to be given the opportunity. Um, but if he if he looks like he's undisciplined, he doesn't know what's going on, um, and he looks lost in space, then you know it's probably going to be a more fort. Um, and I think to a certain extent that might be true about Queen too. You know, if Queen looks goes in there and he kind of doesn't know what's going on. Um, then you know he might not be in there as much as he, we might have thought. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the Ravens' um, offense against the Browns um, because I think there's a couple interesting matchups, and a lot of this starts with the wide receivers because I don't think the Browns have a very good secondary, and I think this might be a game where the wide receivers can can kind of you know make their mark. Um, Kind of like they did last last year. It was you know a lot of Hollywood Brown. Um, I think he could also have a big game this time around. And I think that the Browns are going to really struggle against the Ravens' passing offense if they if they, if they choose to kind of attack them in that way. Um, the Ravens do have you know a pretty good offensive line. That's probably the Browns' strength is their defensive line. That's something to watch. Can can Lamar. Um, be given enough time in the pocket um, and what can he do if they get pressure can he, you know scramble and make plays um, and then obviously Mark Andrews like he's going to feast on the Browns linebackers the Browns linebackers are not good um, 
they're without probably their best linebacker in, in Mac Wilson and um, the rest of their unit is inexperienced. And I think I, I don't see how they can stop the Ravens um, if they want to pass it or if they want to run it for that matter. It's just, it's just going to be a great matchup for the Ravens offense. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I think it's worth pointing out that I think, um, I think Mark Andrews is going to have a big first three weeks watching the Texans chiefs game. Um, the, the, those guys are, he's going to, he's going to have a lot of yards and a lot of touchdowns, I think through the first three weeks, because there doesn't seem like there's anybody on any of those three teams that are, that are going to be able to stick with them. Um, but yeah, I totally agree with you. I, you know, watching the second Ravens game, and I talked a little bit about how the Ravens didn't score into the 150 mark in that game. Um, one of that was a, a, a botched, like uh, a botched mesh point between Lamar and Ingram. Um, but the rest of it was really just stagnant offense. For whatever reason, for the first quarter and a half of that game, the Ravens decided that they weren't going to throw it to wide receivers. Everything was going to be run very much kind of like on short outs together. Um, and they ran right into the teeth of essentially what Cleveland did is eight man fronts across the board the entire time. And until they got into the two minute drill, the Ravens decided they weren't like Greg Roman wasn't going to try and stretch the field laterally, wasn't going to try and stretch the field deep. It was all just kind of like the same. It felt like a little Cam Cameron, like hook routes, 10 years down the field, one guy running deep, no look sack kind of kind of thing. There weren't any sacks, but it, it just felt pretty, pretty vanilla. Um, you know, the Ravens had some success running the ball, but but. Again, Cleveland was just packing the box. They were putting, there were eight guys in the box on, on almost every single snap of the first half and, and a lot of the second half. So I expect to see them replicate that at least early on. Um, and I really, I agree with you. I really hope that that Roman tries to take advantage of that, stretch the field a little bit, um, use some of kind of use some of that depth that he's got in terms of being able to stretch out the field a little bit. The Ravens have got less tight ends that they're going to put on the field this year. Um, you've got a guy like Dobbins that can actually catch the ball out of the backfield. Um, you know, I think there are some really interesting options that the Ravens should consider. Um, the Ravens also attacked the Browns defense through my boy, Justice Hill, in this game. It was actually Justice Hill's only good game of the year, I'd, I'd argue. Um, he had that touchdown run that that kind of is the one that you see on Twitter if you're kind of looking into Justice Hill a little bit. But the Ravens caught him in the flat a lot. So even though the Browns were playing these eight-man fronts, they weren't playing because I, most likely because they were trying to keep in front of Lamar or keep Lamar in front of them. They weren't playing a lot of man-to-man -man coverage. Um, and they were playing a lot of cover three. They were or like deep shell cover two um, kind of without like w without kind of that press underneath like tight coverage on the outside. So there were a lot of open lanes in the flats and the Ravens took a lot of advantage of that, both to Edwards and to Hill. I think Edwards had two catches in that game, which was really rare for him. Hill had, th I think three catches in that game, all passes to the flat. Um, Edwards was a little like screen ish, but not really like more like a, um, more like a release. Um, so I'll be interested to see if the Ravens try and stretch that off, like the defense a little bit in the same way and then kind of attack it underneath too. Um, but I'd expect to see a lot of cover three from the Browns this week because they're not going to want to get beat deep. Um, maybe even cover four. Um, they've got not a ton of not experienced guys there, so they're just not going to let them beat them kind of deep and down the field. But if they're going to play a lot of cover four, the Ravens are going to run all over them. They're going to have to get out of that quickly. Then if they bring them back down in the box, go into like a cover two, you could see, you know, that's when this is exactly what the Ravens did to Miami last year, right? Um, where they're going to hit Hollywood Brown on that inside slant post, like those routes, and he's just going to split those safeties and he's going to run to the end zone. 
Um, so I think there are some really huge, like you said, opportunities there for the offense. And Cleveland couldn't stop the Ravens' run. Um, whether it was Lamar, whether it was these guys, Lamar, uh, Ingram had a couple runs of like 15, 20 plus yards in that game, and that was there were that was against these stack boxes. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I I don't think Cleveland's improved a lot in terms of personnel um, from last year, especially defending the run. I think they're worse at linebacker overall, particularly at inside linebacker. Um, and I don't think that they're particularly better on the defensive line either. Um, so I, I think that it should be a big day for the Ravens offense. Um, there's a reason that they were able to hang 31 points in, you know, two and two and change quarters on them last year. Yeah. And one last thing about the Ravens offense that I'm interested in is seeing how much uh, J.K. Dobbins is is involved. You mentioned him as a pass catcher, but I also think he can be, you know, a weapon in the run game. Um, and I still think Ingram is probably going to be the lead guy there. Um, but if, you know, Dobbins sees like maybe eight to 10 touches in the run game um, and maybe a few passes too, I think he can be a real weapon for the Ravens. You could, you could see him putting up, you know, seven, eight yards per chunk, I think. Um, and if he gets loose, you know, that could be a touchdown. So um, I'm excited to see him. I'm excited to see, you know, guys like DuVernay, if, if, if he can get involved in the offense a little bit, maybe get him on a, some jet motion, like get him a maybe a handoff, get him a screen, a wide receiver screen, something like that, just to get him a quick touch, see what he can do um, with the ball in his hands because he's got some speed. Um, but, yeah, I'm just – I think that the, the Ravens are just overmatching the Browns um, offensively in terms of what they can do. And I think it's possible that the Browns can put up some points in this one, but I think more than likely it's it's going to be just the, it's the Ravens offense just like dominating. Yeah, two two hot takes I've got coming into this game. One is I think the Ravens rookies are going to play less than everybody thinks they are, which if you were having the same conversation before week one of every one of the Ravens seasons since John Harbaugh took over, it turned out to be true. So I'm going to I'm going to stick with that prediction at this point. I think we're just going to see I think Prochet is going to return kicks. Um, and I think, you know, and if he botches one, he, his butt's going to be on the bench and it's going to be for multiple weeks. Um, I think we might see a little bit of Duvernay, but I don't think we're going to see a lot of it. Um, you know, I, th- I don't think we're going to see a lot of Harrison. Matabuke is already down. Um, so, you know, it'll be interesting. Tyree Phillips is also down now. So it'll be interesting to see, interesting to see what happens with the rookies. The other one is, you know, Justice Hill not playing this week. That's really bad for his roster position, I think, for the Ravens. Um, one, if somebody else returns kicks on kickoffs and does so effectively, is really going to take away the one edge that Justice Hill had the, in the way the Ravens used him in a way that nobody else did. So Prochet is returning kicks too. And let's say he returns a, a kick for 80 yards um, you know, on a kickoff. I think that's, that's really going to endanger Hill's role. And then I think, like you were just saying, Dobbins – from all we hear, looks every bit or sounds every bit the part that he should be and the reason the Ravens drafted him at 55. If that's the case, and Justice Hill loses his kick, kick return role, um, let's say he's hurt for two weeks, we get some good kick returns, Edwards, Dobbins, and Ingram play really well in rotation. I just wonder if there's going to be a spot for Hill to come back into if that rotation is working really well or he's just going to be an inactive guy for the rest of the year or until somebody gets hurt because – the Ravens just re- like when the Ravens get into these rotational sets where they feel like something's working, they they really don't go away from it. Um, and I think it's too bad, even though Justice Hill's not my guy, it's too bad that he got hurt because I think that's going to really it's going to set him extra far behind those other three guys, especially when two of them are well proven veterans. Yeah, it's hard to see him having much of an impact on this season. Um, I think that if he is healthy, there will be a role for him in the offense. But, you know, if Dobbins kind of 
develops into the three down back that we think he's going to, that that role might kind of diminish. And then we might just have to wait and see if it's if it's a player that this isn't going to pan out for the Ravens. But I don't want to think about that yet. We have to, we have a whole season ahead of us. Um, yeah. So do you have a final prediction for what this this game's going to look like? Yeah, I've got the Ravens at at 41 and Browns at 16. I think it's going to be a blowout. Um, I don't think it's going to be particularly close. Um, you know, I just don't see. I you know, I, I guess if Chubb has a monster game or like another 88 yard touchdown run um, at a key moment, you know, that could unlock it. But I think we're going to see the Lamar Jackson show on Sunday, and I think that like it's going to be a stark wake up to everybody. You know. I think that people would be more high on the Ravens now, obviously, if they would have gone deeper into the playoffs, but not just because they went deeper into the playoffs, because more people on a broader stage would have seen how dynamic Lamar is, has, is and can be and is going to be better than in this upcoming year. And I think we're going to see it on Sunday. Yeah, I think that's definitely um, a likely outcome. I, I don't have it that much. I think it's going to be more like a 27-17 game. But it's definitely possible that the Ravens' offense just kind of like takes control of this game and puts up 40 points. I think that's definitely within the realm of possibility. I don't see the defense letting up more than you know 16, 17. That's probably where where I think the Browns end up. So I definitely yeah, think I really yeah, I really hope they stretch the field early. I, I really want to see the the Ravens air it out. Um, the the Browns' secondary is the weakness, uh, you know, and and I've been saying it all off season the ravens have got to get better at passing the ball they've got to get more comfortable at passing the ball no better time than the present <laughs> so uh real quick do you want to go through the divisions and let's pick some uh, division winners yeah absolutely um let's start with the afc east i mean i i think it's the bills division this year um i think their talent upgrade with Diggs um was what they needed i think they're going to be continue to be very good on defense they're really well coached I don't think Allen is is kind of he's not at the Watson, you know, Jackson Mahomes tier of things. And he's I don't think he's ever going to be that good. Um, but I think he's good enough to win them that division. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's the Bills. Um, I think the Patriots might be a playoff team um, given a, th- a third wild card. But um, I don't know. I, th- I feel like the, the defense took a lot of, a lot of hits and I'm, I'm not sure if their offense is, is has, has enough weapons, even with, with Cam Newton. Um, and don't and don't sleep on the Miami Dolphins this year. You know, if we've seen rookie quarterbacks be better than we expected, and everybody, in, in the same way that I feel like people are kind of counting out Lamar, like Tua, kind of like the last taste in our mouths about of Tua is pretty poor, right? Like it's all injury riddled. It's all all the negative draft kind of conversations. Miami added what seven picks in the top fifty five in the last this last draft. I mean, they added a lot of talent in the free agency market. Jordan Howard, Matt Breida, they're showing different looks across the board. Fitzpatrick is competent at quarterback. Um, you know, I, I don't think that they're going to – I don't think they're going to win the division, but I think that they're going to play a part in picking a game off from one of these teams that, that we're all a little bit surprised by. Yeah, I can see that. I really like Tua. I think he's going to be a really good quarterback. I'm not sure how much he's going to get to play this year. Um, that's going to be something that's interesting to monitor. Yeah, um, and I also think the Bill Belichick shine is going to wear off this year. I don't think that I don't think the magic. I, I think Tom Brady had a lot to do with his his magic. There's a reason why he wasn't that great before Tom Brady. I don't think he's. I think Cam. I just I, I don't see it for them. But you know, I'm I'm very anti New England. So. <laughs> yeah, I just don't think they have enough weapons on offense or defense. Honestly, they have a good secondary. But that's about it. Um. So let's move to uh, AFC South. 
Who do you have? Yeah, I mean, you know, we have the luxury of seeing the Texans for a game, which was not a very good one. So as such, I, I'm going to pick the Titans. I probably would have picked the Texans before tonight's game, but I was really unimpressed with the Texans tonight. But they tend to do that. They kind of have stinkers every now and then. Um, but Clowney on the Titans is a, is a, a really nice addition for them. So, um, you know, and I think they're in it to win it this year. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a tight division. And I know that Houston didn't look too great this week, but I think they're going to be a team that's, you know, going to win eight to nine games. Um, I actually have the Colts, I think, as the division winners because they have something that I think matters, and that's probably the best offensive line in football. And I know Rivers looked bad last year, but he was playing behind a really bad offensive line. I think you put him behind a good offensive line, give them, you know, an extra second. Um, to make some decisions. I think he can still throw the ball downfield. They have some decent receivers. Um, they have some good running backs. I think they can be a good enough team to win 10-11 games and take that division. I saw a crazy stat on Twitter last week that was like the percentage of games where teams were leading by halftime. And the top three teams in the league were like the Saints, the New England, and the Ravens over like the last three years. And combined, those three teams were winning in halftime, won 80% of their games over the fourth team leading at halftime was the Colts. And they had only won, like, I want to say it was, like, between 30 and 40% of those games. Um, and so whoever had posted it was essentially arguing that, uh, or tweeted it, was arguing that that he thought that the Colts' luck was 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 due to turn around in that regard. I could definitely see that. I think they're, they're a pretty good team. They're a very well-coached team. They have decent players on both sides of the ball. Um, I just think that, you know, them and the Titans, I think, are both going to be playoff teams. Um, and I think it's really going to be close. And I, I just think the, the strength of that offensive line is going to going to really make the difference for the, for the Colts. Yeah, and then in the AFC West, I mean, in, it's hard to pick against the Chiefs at this point, right? <laughs> yeah, this this one's easy. It's the Chiefs. Um, I don't see another team that's going to win more than eight games in that division. Um, so I think that's a pretty probably the easiest division right now in in the AFC. Are you um, are you buying the Steelers hype in the AFC North? Well, I think they're probably a 10-11 win team. I do think that they have a good defense. Um, they have some good players on offense, but they don't have anybody who's really kind of dynamic. And I think Ben's, you know, not as good as he used to be. So I think they're probably, you know, a decent playoff team. I think they'll probably be maybe the number one wild card. Um, they might win 11 games. Um, and I think the Browns will be in contention for that last wild card spot with the, probably like a, a nine win kind of mark. Yeah, I, I think the Chargers could be potentially an interesting team, um, you know, for that last wild card spot as well. Um, but with the injury to um, Derwin James, you know, it, it's just hard to. It's also the Chargers are just one of those teams where every year they're just a little bit worse than you expect them to be on an annual basis. <laughs> Yeah, the Chargers, I feel bad for. They just always get some one of their key players hurt. Um, it just seems like it's, you know, like death taxes and Chargers start getting out. And the season. Ravens running on second and short. And the Ravens running on second and short. That's never going to end. All right, so uh, moving to the NFC, let's start with the uh, NFC East. Yeah, I think it's going to be the Cowboys. I, I, you know, I don't like to say that. You know, obviously we both grew up in in Ravens territory, so we probably have a little bit more disdain for Philly. Um, but I like the Cowboys' offense, and and you know the skill position players down there with um, with Elliott to go with Gallup and Cooper and Judy, like that's and Dak. They should be good on offense, and that yeah. should be enough to win in the division. They also have a good offensive line, and I think 
that talent alone should should be be what puts them over the edge. Um, they also got a coaching upgrade because they got rid of Jason Garrett, and that's all I want to say about that. Um, and and Philly, I, I think Philly can be a, a potential playoff team, but they're probably the Chargers of the NFC in terms of their injury situation. So that's that's what the reason why I think it's going to be the Cowboys, and I think it's going to be like probably a couple games that they're going to win by. Um, yeah, and the NFC North, you know, this one this one's a tougher division to call. I think I think I go with Green Bay just because. I don't trust the Vikings and Kirk Cousins. Um, the Bears, I don't think their defense is going to carry them. I don't think it's going to be enough. Um, so I'll take the quarterback. But on the other hand, you know, Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers have just not been that good the last three or four years for what they should be. You know, they've had a couple of seasons where they had a decent win total, but they just don't look that good. You know, it's not a team that I'd be scared to play. Yeah, I feel the same way about the Packers. Um, I think they have pieces that you think are the good pieces and places that you want them to be, but they're just like missing for some reason. There's some cohesion that's just not happening with that team. I can't really put my finger on it. Why? Um, because if you look at, the, you know, they have pass rushers, they have cornerbacks, they have, they have, you know, wide receiver. They have one of the best wide receivers in the league. They have Aaron Rodgers. They have a, one of the best left tackles in the league. It's just like, why do they not consistently put together? And I think it's been partially uh, play calling on both sides of the ball. Um, so I'm still choosing them to win it, and I think that they're the most talented team in that division, so they should win it. But I, it wouldn't surprise me if the Vikings win. I also think the Lions could potentially win if you know Matt Stafford looks as good as he did last year, um, and their defense is a little bit better. Um, I, I wouldn't put them completely out of it either. Yeah, the loss of Darius Slay just he didn't make any like like i say loss like like he got away from them <laughs> like the 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 trading away of darius Slade just didn't make any sense to me um as kind of their best defender and i think you know i just i struggle to see how they're going to overcome um that loss of his but you know maybe stafford also seems like one of those guys that's always middling um and and should be better than he is but isn't too <laughs> Yeah, Stafford had, was having a fantastic season last year before he got hurt. And he has, you know, some really good wide receivers. He's a good tight end. They have interesting running backs with Adrian Peterson signing there. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's a long shot for them, but I wouldn't put them completely out of it either. Yeah, I think it's going to be a close division. Um, the South, I think, is clearly the Saints' division to win. The Bucks are interesting. We'll see. I mean, is Tom? I mean, is Tom Brady forty-three or is Tom Brady not forty-three? Is the question. And if he plays like he's forty-three, the Saints are going to run away with the division. Um, though the Falcons did play well the last six weeks of the season last year, um, but I just don't see anybody catching the Saints in the NFC South. Yeah, I think the NFC South is one of the more interesting divisions, um, especially with Tom Brady going there. Obviously, I, I've I've seen or I've heard a lot of smart people kind of try and dissect the. the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and there's, I think, two ways of looking at it. And one is they were a decent team last year, despite Jameis Winston turning the ball over 39 times, which is kind of ridiculous if you think about it. Um, they have really good talent on offense, and they had actually a pretty good defense. So, like, you, you put Tom Brady in that situation, you add Rob Gronkowski, you add Leonard Fournette, you know, that's like – that's a pretty interesting kind of roster that they've assembled down there. And I think Bruce Arians is a good coach. Um, but on the other hand, Tom Brady's 43 years old. They don't have a great offensive line and they kind of don't have very good like protectors for him. And I think that's something that's going to matter too. 
So he could look old. He could also look great. I think um, there's a chance that they're a 12-win team and, and are the number one seed in the NFC. I also could see them, you know, making like an eight or nine win season and missing out on the playoffs entirely. I, I agree with you. I think it's going to be the Saints that win it, but I, I do think that um, the Bucks have a chance, and I think the Falcons could be feisty if they put it all together, and Matt Ryan has an even year Matt Ryan season. Yeah, and then wrapping it up, we've got our, our Super Bowl, um, you know, representation from last year in the Niners and the NFC West. I don't see I don't see it going anywhere but up for them. I love Kyle Shanahan. I think he's a fantastic coach. Um, love the personnel and and kind of all the decisions the Niners have made across the board down uh, are up there. Um, so I, I, I'm hard pressed to see any of these other teams catching up to them. But I think this is the most interesting division of football this upcoming year. Um, Kyler Murray is going to be interesting to watch and see what happens. The Rams are a very top heavy team in terms of talent. But if those guys are going to impact games in a meaningful way, they're going to win nine or 10 games or they could win nine or 10 games. And the same story with the Seahawks. I think Pete Carroll does really weird things, but still manages to win games. And if he could get out of his own way, I think they could be an 11, 10, 11 win team. Um, so I think there's upside for every one of those teams in the division to win nine games. Um, but obviously, I, I, I'd take the Niners out of the whole lot. Yeah, I think the Niners have the most talent, and I think they have the best coach. So that's why I would take the Niners. But I do think that they aren't going to be as good as they were last year, especially on defense. Um, and it's, it's really going to come down to, I think, um, can Jimmy G you know, kind of take a next step? Because um, honestly, he hasn't played that many games in the NFL. And I think that if he can become a bit more consistent as a passer – then they have a chance to be a really good team. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see what happens to their running game. I mean, they have they lost Breida, they lost, you know, it's 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 not the same. But then again, it's rinse and repeat. It's that Kubiak Shanahan style running game. Um, I, you know, he's he's the guy I would have made head coach when the Ravens made Harbaugh head coach. Though I don't think he would have left his dad and the Redskins in that moment. Um, but thank God, like you said, we didn't get Jason Garrett. <laughs> Yep, so I guess that uh, pretty much wraps it up for us. Do you have any final thoughts before we, we sign off? Yeah, who are your Super Bowl picks then? Um, uh, Super Bowl. I mean, I have the Ravens. I have the Ravens over, let's say, the Bucks. How about that? Wow. Hot take. Hot, hot take. Tom Brady makes it to his, was it, eighth Super Bowl? Ninth Super Bowl? Oh, Just to lose. I would love, I would love that. That would make, that would absolutely make 2020 okay in my book if the Ravens can take Tom Brady down in the Super Bowl, um, which would be a thing that I never thought would have been possible to, to even say the last 10 years. Um, I actually, I think I like the Saints to come out uh, for the Super Bowl this year. Um, I've obviously also got the Ravens. I don't think the Saints can beat the Ravens either. Um, but um it's going to be Drew Beasley's last year, and I think that team's going to play hard for him. I think they've got a lot of talent down there. Um, they had a good offseason. So, yeah, if I, if my Super Bowl is going to be Baltimore and New Orleans. All right. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We're excited to see what happens this upcoming Sunday. It should be a good one. Um, we'll be back on Monday night to record something for Tuesday about the upcoming game. Um, hopefully it's a big Ravens win and um, you can check us out, talk about it, Baltimore sports and life.com. Um, we're going to try and be involved in the game thread on Sunday. Um, if, if we can be, so you can get us there or on Twitter, he's at Gabe Fergie um, at BSL Jordan co. Thanks for tuning in and we'll talk to you guys soon.